In these bleak days, humanity is at a breaking point. Economies are tanking. The woke mob is canceling everything. And the little guy who's just trying to run a small business is getting screwed from both ends. But not all is lost. Amidst the chaos, two men offer up their voices in the darkness, dropping 2,000-pound laser-guided truth bombs on today's lunacy. Introducing the Sirens of Sanity, David Pridham and L. Bradley Sheaf. Freebird, Leonard Skinner, probably one of the top groups, some would say of all time, others would not, but great song. And I think it, it's apropos, given that we just wrapped our hour-long episode with Kyle Gordy, uh, who is tangentially related to fabulous Freebird, Terry Bam Bam Gordy, who, uh, by the way, was the world tag team champion at least three times and also partnered with the late, great Killer Khan. Uh, when he took some time off. And that's where, of course, Terry Gordy learned the Oriental Spike. Indeed. All very pertinent facts to start off today's podcast. I do mm -hmm. think uh, that it's a nice tie-in to the song by Leonard Skinner. I also think Mr. Gordy is sort of a free bird of his own, if you will. He's certainly going to have a lot of children. And uh, he has a lot of children. Well, that's correct. He does. Yeah, yeah, he does. He will continue to have. He says he's going to be a good dad. Let's hope that's true. And that, uh, you know, he continues to be that that the free bird of pregnancy, if you will. That's a lot of uh, recitals he's going to have to go to a lot of school lunches, Brad, that he's going to have to pack. And we've had a lot of great feedback uh, to um, the uh, the episode with uh, Kyle Gordy and his paramour, Sophia Deluxe. A lot of people like the episode, a lot to take from it as a small business owner. What exactly? I'm not sure. You're going to have to listen to it yourself. But uh, there's a lot of uh, clamoring here in the room today in the, uh, in the uh, live studio audience. A lot of people, uh, you can almost say, Brad, there's a buzz in the air. Uh, given the excitement that was generated by that uh, Kyle Gordy interview, that could only probably be eclipsed if we had Killer Khan and the late, great Terry Gordy uh, in studio today. I can't say that we do because, of course, they're both dead. Uh, but that's probably the only thing that could make this crowd whipped into a frenzy, similar to the way that Kyle Gordy got them all jacked and pumped. Yeah, I mean, nothing will whip a crowd into a frenzy like rolling in two dead guys. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so, you know, maybe we'll have to give that a shot at some point. We'll probably have to save that for our Dealey Plaza remote that we have scheduled on the anniversary of President Kennedy's assassination. Of course, that'll be later in the year. Right now, Brad, we're getting ramped up for summer. Those of you listening to us at home, David Pridham and Brad Sheaf, we, of course, mean business. And you can learn more about our show as we stand uh, really unwavering in the face of all that's confronting you, the small business owner and the individual taxpayer uh, on our website, ipfrequently.com. You can learn more about us as well on our social media, unlike what Brad says we do, and he does have a very prominent social media platform at IP underscore frequently on the Twitter, Instaface, and Facebook. And we've, of course, got more in the works. We're currently preparing to launch on a new podcast platform, and Brad and I are working on the definitive book 
on how to run your small business and how to come out from the depths and uh, rise uh, like a phoenix, Brad, out of the Arizona. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think all of those things are at least in some respect true. Correct. Uh, well, of course, Brad, we always want to start out with the two big news items of the week. This is where uh, we read the news, digest it for you so that you don't have to watch the MSNBC or the CNN or the CNBC or the CBS. You don't have to watch any of that. You simply have to listen to what we say, write it down, and then go to work and hang out by the, uh, the bubbler and uh, just parrot back what we say. And as long as you do that, uh, we promise that you're going to be uh, fine. And if, if you're not fine, you'll get your money back. Fair enough. I think, we can, I think we can do all of that. So this week, Brad, the first big item that people have to uh, look at is more fallout from the uh, draft row opinion that uh, uh, was leaked from the Supreme Court. Of course, a lot of people focusing on the fact that this is really uh, one of the first instances that uh, people have seen a, an early draft of the Supreme Court uh, decision leaked. And of course, it was done to potentially impact the, uh, uh, the outcome. Uh, but what we're seeing now as a result of this is more and more violence being called for by the left. Uh, the White House has defended the right of activists to surround the homes of Supreme Court justices. Um, in fact, Jen Psaki, who is the uh, um, soon-to-be MSNBC multimillionaire commentator, uh, said that the White House supports the right to protest at the homes of justices. Um, and uh, you know, also, you see some of your favorite politicians, Brad. For example, Lori Lightfoot, the famous mayor of Chicago, uh, has uh, said in a tweet uh, to my friends in the LGBTQ plus community. The Supreme Court is coming for us next. This is a call to arms. We will not surrender. We need to fight. And of course, she then encouraged people to go to the homes of Supreme Court justices to impact this uh, decision that is, uh, that is coming down. But it seems to me that there is a double standard here because when you have protests on one side, for example, all the middle-aged and elderly people who are slightly overweight taking selfies in Nancy Pelosi's office, it is called an insurrection and a uh, uh, and a uh, uh, an attack on our form of government. But apparently, when you go to Supreme Court justices' homes, threaten their family in public tweets, um, that Brad is not insurrection. That is okay. Yeah. Well, buddy, I mean, it, it's just there's much here to you know sort of shake your head at. I mean, as you pointed out, Miss Lightfoot has tweeted to the LGBTQ plus community. And I, the first thing I'm wondering, you know, sort of before we dive into the more difficult topics is if I, I can't keep up with the total number of letters that is in that ever increasing acronym. But if plus. we're going to use the plus on the end, can we just go with then L plus? No, no, because then you leave it then if you do that, you're ignoring the G B T Q. Yeah, but we're ignoring whatever the plus is there for now. So it would just seem like it would save breath and ink and time and confusion, et cetera, if we're going to just, you know, make the acronym potentially endless by putting a plus on the end, then we should just go L plus and then call it good. I, it's probably not worth debating, but I did, it was just something that occurred to me. And then the other thing, perhaps on a more weighty subject, I just don't understand how you could be so short-sighted as to say, well, it's, you know, we're just going to allow the picketing of these folks 
you know, private homes where their families live and they, and they try to conduct, you know, their lives outside of their offices and outside of their official roles. And that's okay when they fall on a certain side of an issue and not see that the same thing is going to happen to those judges or other officials who fall on other sides of the issues when those become contentious. I mean, it's just you're opening a door that you're not going to be able to shut when you want to. I mean, I just don't get that. No, it's the it's the craziest thing. And, and you, know, you and I talk about this all the time. We now live in a in a culture where truth is subjective, right? There's no there's no objective truth. People turn their back to that all the time. And we have double standards across the board. And uh, there there is I mean, I don't see any difference between people storming the Capitol and people going to the homes of Supreme Court justices before, by the way, the opinion is even issued to try to impact the outcome using force, except the only difference is when people went from the White House rally to the Capitol, there was no one saying, go to the Capitol, break in and and take selfies in Nancy Pelosi's office. Um, No one was tweeting that. No one was saying that. In fact, people said, don't do that. Uh, But in this case, in this case, our political leaders are saying this is a fight. This is a call to arms. They're inciting violence. And I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if, um, you know, someone tried to take out a Supreme Court justice. I wouldn't be surprised. That's the, the world we live in. And, and you know, what, what, what the saddest thing about that is people would think that's OK. I mean, we banned Donald Trump from Twitter. And again, this is no defense of Donald Trump because he's, you know, ha- has a ton of issues uh, that we can talk about. But they banned him from Twitter for saying, quote, uh, the 75,000 great American patriots who voted for me, um, you know, made America great again, will have a giant voice long into the future. They'll not be disrespected or treated unfairly in any way, shape or form. Uh, you know, he, he, that, that's what he tweeted to get banned from Twitter. That, that's it. That's that's what they cited. And then on the other hand, you know, this mayor of Chicago is saying, you know, the Supreme Court is coming for us. This is the moment to for a call to arms, which is a call to harm a member of the Supreme Court. And she's still out there tweeting away. And so the, we have a double standard. We, we don't have any objective truth anymore. And people just outright uh, lie about what is going on in this world and what these policies mean. And they're doing it in such a way to incite violence against a, uh, a branch of government in an effort to cause that branch of government not to operate the way it's intended to under the Constitution. And because of that, you know, we should be really ashamed of ourselves and these people should be ashamed of themselves. And I do think the day of reckoning is coming, and I think it's going to be here in November of this year. You cannot create these slippery slopes, open these doors, whatever analogy you want to use, and then expect there to be no repercussions of that, right? And, and I completely agree. It is entirely possible, given the lunacy surrounding certainly the, the hot button issue of abortion, given that lunacy that someone will take a pot shot at a Supreme Court justice or some member of their family or even extended family. And buddy, unfortunately, I think if that were to happen, the, the left would not look in the mirror and say, They'd we, we might have, yeah, we might have pushed this too far. You know, this is not where we want to go in this country. They would absolutely celebrate it. They would just say, well, I mean, that's what you get when, you know, you're on the wrong side of this issue. 
somehow forgetting that at least 50% of the country is on the other side of that issue, right? And you just can't take that position and not expect those chickens to come home to roost, to use yet another analogy, at some point in the future, right? You cannot simply say the rules don't apply to us, but they apply to everybody else and still have a democracy. Now, maybe that's not what we want. And I think it's probably true uh, in certain cases, perhaps in many cases, that, that folks on the left no longer want a democracy, right? I mean, you and I both have a friend who has said he doesn't want uh, the abortion issue to be put back in the hands of voters because he doesn't trust the voters. And that is effectively saying, I don't like democracy, right? When you have gotten to the point where you say, I don't trust my other citizens, I don't trust them to manage this issue well, then what you're saying is, I want that issue taken out of the hands of the voters. Once you start taking issues out of the hands of the voters, you are putting them, putting those issues into the hands of some form of tyranny, right? Now, I don't, I don't mean that hyperbolically, right? I just mean that politically, right? If, you, if, you're not, if you're not putting the issues in the hands of the people, then you're putting them in the issues, that, those issues in the hands of, of someone who isn't the people and is therefore, you know, just kind of by definition, a tyrant, whether it's a person or a small group of, you know, elites, that's what you're doing. So I have a good story for you because we like story time. Sometimes we don't do it. Sometimes we do do it. Um, do you want to hear a good story? Sure. Who doesn't want to hear a good story? So my wife and I last evening were invited to a, a black tie dinner, put on the black tie thing, which I, as you know, I hate to do. We go, we show up and set this museum in downtown uh, Dallas where we live. So we go in and this, there's this guy from PNC bank talking, they're doing some exhibit of some, I don't know, art that no one wants to see. And so, um, uh, you know, we get in there and I notice no one else is in a black tie. I'm in a black tie. My wife's in a gown and we're at this thing and no one else. I mean, I've got a guy next to me in sneakers, a guy with no tie on. We go out to the front and we're like trying to figure this out. And, and then I'm like, well, what time when's the dinner? And they're like, no, it's, no, it's cocktail hour. And so I show the guy the invite and he's like, that's tomorrow night. We immediately spun around, mm -hmm. get back in the car, drive home, take off the suit, put on my shorts. And now I have this, this thing hanging in my closet where and it, it's also 115 degrees right now in Dallas. So I've got to put this thing back on tonight. There's no way to dry clean the shirt. It's just like literally horrific, horrific situation. Buddy, that does sound like an awful situation. I mean, perhaps on at the grand on the grand scale of what's going on in our world today, protests here, protests there. Do we kill babies? Don't we kill babies? Mm -hmm. Folks in the Ukraine, you, you know, their lives being ruined, etc. Perhaps on on that scale, you having to wear your tuxedo two nights in a row is not, you know perhaps devastating, but I will grant you that wearing a non dry clean shirt is, you know, generally speaking, unacceptable. Brad, this week uh, we have like sort of the Betty White celebrity update. This is where we try to catch up mm -hmm. with the goings on of uh, big time celebrities that everyone knows about household names, if you will. Um, and many people um, have sort of weighed in on where we should go with this. But uh, this week, Brad, we're talking about Nancy Crampton Brophy, uh, she is a romance author um, from the state of Oregon, Brad, where you and I had pancakes and I believe uh, gigantic waffles. Uh, and a breakfast burrito. Don't forget the burrito. 
breakfast burrito. Yeah. So she is, of course, a from the state of Oregon, I believe Portland or near Portland, mm-hmm. um, authored a number of books, including the page turner, again, a work of fiction, How to Murder Your Husband. Uh, Nancy Crampton Brophy wrote that book a few years ago. And um, this week, Brad, she has been hauled into uh, prison. She's 71 years old. She's been hauled into jail and charged, Brad, with, you guessed it, killing her husband. Uh, her <laughs> husband, Daniel Brophy, he was a, she was robbing the cradle. He was 63. She allegedly killed him with a blunt instrument on June 2nd, 2018. Uh, she committed the murder because of financial issues and needing the $1.5 million in insurance to pay for her lifestyle. Um, and uh, again, again, Brad, probably there's probably a lesson in here for the husband, don't you think? Yeah. I mean, you want to pay attention to the title of your wife's books. I mean, you don't have to read them. No one's going to require you to read them, especially if they're garbage. And I presume that her books are, given her financial issues or apparent financial issues. But if your wife is even writing a book called How to Poke Your Husband Uncomfortably in the Ribs, you want to pay attention to that, right? I mean, that, that's what we call a signal or a clue or a heads up. If she takes it next level and goes with how to murder your husband, you definitely want to pay attention to that. And I think, quite frankly, if you don't, you sort of deserve what's coming to you, whether or not it is the uncomfortable poke in the ribs or, in fact, your own death. Yeah, and, and apparently, Brad, this was not with a um, blunt instrument. This was a shooting. Her husband was shot. Uh, her claim to police was that she was at a local Starbucks enjoying a latticino when uh, the murder went down. And uh, unfortunately for her, she made the age-old mistake of talking to her cellmate, uh, at the uh, at the jail, and she said to the cellmate that uh, uh, holding her arms apart, about three feet apart, I was this far away when the shooting happened. Uh, she then corrected herself and tried to say she was at uh, a Starbucks, and uh, then it quote became very awkward uh, unquote between her and the uh, the cellmate, especially as the cellmate testified against her um, and uh, and went to the grand jury. Uh, probably for a uh, lighter sentence, who I believe the cellmate also murdered her husband, although that has not been verified. But there's a lesson here for small business owners alike uh, and for uh, soon-to-be husbands and wives. Check the uh, uh, literary history of your uh, significant other or your employee, employer, to see if they have written any books uh, specifically directed at your murder. And if they have, stay away. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, if you have an employee who has written a book entitled How I Killed My Boss and Then Pretended I Was at a Starbucks, you want to pay attention to that and perhaps call that employee in and show them the title of your book calling entitled How I Got That Son of a Bitch First, mm-hmm. and that'll perhaps you know rectify the issues and put everybody back on firm footing. It's like a mutually assured destruction type thing. Sort of, yes. Mad, mad. Uh, Next, Brad, we go to the weekly Biden Watch. This is where we talk about all things Joe Biden. Uh, This week, uh, the president uh, did a a number of great things. He confused his wife and the vice president yet again. He called his sister his brother. Um, He muttered something about uh, teaching at Harvard in the 70s, which never happened. And he also, uh, he's fascinated with, um, obviously, MAGA and Donald Trump. And, you know, who wouldn't be? I mean, the president has approval ratings in the low 40s, high 30s. 
um, which also I think lines up with his IQ. And uh, he, um, every time he gets a chance, he wants to talk about MAGA and the MAGA agenda and how they're, um, you know, killing um, people and all this stuff and uh, insurrection. Uh, and uh, this week he said that MAGA, and I quote, MAGA is the most extreme political organization in American history. End stop, end quote. So the president, I mean, I don't know if he really believes this or he just wants to run against Donald Trump again, or maybe he doesn't even know where he is. But for someone to say that in light of some of the organizations we've had, I mean, the Ku Klux Klan being one, um, the Nazi party being another, um, you know, segregation is south in the uh, post and pre-Civil War era. Um, I mean, there, there are a lot of very, very extreme political organizations in this country uh, to say that MAGA is one of them, uh, I think, really uh, misreads history uh, intentionally, I think, and also um, sets up the president to be despised by you know, about 52, 53 percent of the country, at least. Well, but I mean, again, it's, it's crazy. I mean, first of all, I'm not aware and maybe I'm just not. But is MAGA... I mean, I, I get what MAG is, Make America Great Again. It was Mag Donald Trump's slogan. You put it on a red hat or some other you know, article of clothing or whatever. But I, to my knowledge, that in and of itself is not an organization, right? I mean, it, it, it may be a slogan that people rally around. It may be something, again, that they put on a hat. But, but I don't know that it defines an organization, right? So just out of the box, I, I don't know what he's talking about. Neither does he. Right. So back to your point, I mean, I honestly don't believe that Joe Biden has any real sense of what he is saying or doing. Can't remember what he said or did yesterday, is not sure where he's trying to go tomorrow. I mean, he, he is simply being used at this point by the folks that are in his administration and that are you know sort of running his political machine. I, I just believe that entirely. The guy is not competent to hold the office that he currently holds. And it becomes increasingly clear each and every day, if you just pay attention. And, and, I'm, not, and I'm not saying that as a guy who wishes him ill, right? In fact, it, I find it very upsetting that no one close to him is willing to say, hey, you know, this, this is literally killing my you know, loved one, my friend, my family member, whatever the case may be, right? But, but if you just want to look at it from a political perspective, it's crazy. Right? I mean, not only, again, to my knowledge, is MAGA not an organization, not only, if it, even if it were, is it even close to the most extreme organization in our history? You've pointed out several. But even currently, I mean, what about the organizations that are behind going to the personal home of a Supreme Court justice and making it unlivable? What about that organization? What about the organization that tried as best it could to create an organizations to create chaos and anarchy in major U.S. cities over the last several years. What about those organizations? What kind of an environment are you creating, not just you know, for the country writ large, which you obviously don't care about, but just for yourselves, right? I mean, that degree of imbalance cannot survive. Well, the good news, Brad, is I can tell you where they're going with it. Uh, this past week, um, the DHS, Department of Homeland Security, set up after 9-11, uh, Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas filled in Congress on the new 
uh, Biden administration, quote, disinformation board. This is a board that will put out information to counter disinformation wherever it sees it, wherever there is an untruth. This board will uh, uh, write that wrong, correct that untruth with the truth. Um, as they say, Brad, the truth will set you free. It's almost like Orwellian, right, in its in its approach. But this is this gets back to truth now being subjective, not objective. The uh, Department of Homeland Security has chosen to um, staff this board with a uh, a woman who uh, basically said, "Listen, the uh, uh, Hunter Biden laptop story is a non-story. It's Russian." Propaganda, who said that uh, you know Trump uh, was only elected because of the active participation of the Russian government. Um, you know th these are people that have turned their back on the truth many, many times to promulgate uh, major falsehoods, crazy theories, insane stories. They're now hired by the government to go out on social media and, in response to stories they don't like, flood social media with the opposite side of that story. It's a very dangerous time in this country. And to have anything even remotely approaching a quote unquote disinformation board um, within the government itself is insane. It is the most Orwellian thing that you can think of, right? I mean, beside, you know, if you've read the book or seen the movie, sticking someone's face in a trap and then sticking a rat on it, right? I mean, one step below that, is the disinformation board. I want you to, if you're listening to this, I want you to sit down and say this to yourself. The United States government now has an official disinformation board that sits under the Department of Homeland Security. Okay, just sit, look in the mirror, and say that to yourself a couple of times. Okay? It should disturb you greatly that in a country that prides itself on freedoms, that has established the freedom of speech as our first amendment, right? I mean, the one that first popped to mind for the founding fathers was, hey, we ought to be able to speak our minds and encourage discourse on issues. We now have a disinformation board that again, you can look this up for yourself, we're not making this stuff up, that is in charge of telling you what the truth is. Right. Whatever they say the truth is, is Their the truth. truth. Is. Yeah. Whatever they tell you is disinformation is, in fact, that it's, it's not about the discourse board. It's not about the, hey, let's get to the bottom of this board. It's not the, hey, let's weigh all the facts in view and try to come up with a good solution board. It's the we're going to tell you the truth board and we sit under the Department of Homeland Security. If that doesn't shake you, I don't care which side of any aisle you're on, if you are not disturbed by that and the precedent that it sets, because again, as we've talked about ad infinitum on this very fine program, it, it, today it's, it's the left that is establishing the disinformation board. Tomorrow will be the right. Okay, I mean, that's yeah. just the way it works. So if you don't like that idea, you need to start seriously considering what we the people are allowing our government to do. Yeah, it's crazy. And the, the woman they hired to run it, Nina Jankovic, she's a Russian disinformation expert who probably helped put together the Steele dossier. Um, she was hired in April to lead this, uh, this disinformation group. I mean, it's just, it's just absolutely 
insane. And there was an interesting telling point in the um, uh, some of the hearings this week where Rand Paul, who is obviously a libertarian, was questioning this Alejandro guy. And uh, Rand Paul was making the point that the biggest um, propagator of disinformation is the U.S. government. I mean, if you look at the last 30 or 40 years, you look at things like the Pentagon Papers, like weapons of mass destruction, like Iran-Contra. I mean, there were a lot of situations where the U.S. government itself was running disinformation campaigns uh, in foreign countries to destabilize them or to create an advantage for the U.S. And I'm not saying whether that's right or wrong, but to have those same people that came up with these um, untruths, um, the government now be in charge of telling us what the actual truth is, because we can't understand because we're so stupid, uh, the truth or untruth of a uh, of a social media post or whether or not something is largely true or uh, untrue or is partially true. We now have to have the government spoon feed that to us, too. It is insane. It is dangerous. And it is a slippery slope to exactly what you said, you know, having the MAGA folks who are going to be in charge again soon uh, coming up with their own truth in this disinformation board. And I don't want that either. No, no, no one in their right mind wants it. And you got to ask yourself, where have we gotten where there are folks who are serving in official capacities in our government who have access to the president of the United States and the ability to influence his decision making as addled as it may be, who think that it is appropriate and wise to create a disinformation board inside the government. I mean, but just stop and think about that for a second. Someone not only concocted this idea and at, at you know, and then immediately should have just shook in their head and said, man, what, what am I, you know, where, what am I thinking? I, I've lost it. Like, no matter how fervently I feel about things, this is just a terrible idea. I mean, just imagine what the folks who thought it was worth fighting the revolutionary war to get out from under the tyranny of the British crown would say to that, we are soon going to be at the Spanish Inquisition stage where people are gonna show up at your door and say, hey, you know what, you tweeted this, that's disinformation, you're now in trouble. And we want to hear you say what the truth is. We've written it down, you can look on our website, that's the truth, we require you to say it. Much like they did in Canada with some of those pastors of Christian churches. And I don't care what you think about Christianity in general, to haul a pastor in front of a court and basically demand that they repeat after you what the truth is with respect to the COVID pandemic is horrifying in a free society. And yet that is where we are. Next, Brad, uh, the sister of uh, the president, uh, Joe Biden, um, Valerie Biden Owens, uh, has uh, once again been in the news. Of course, a couple of weeks ago, she was in the news. We talked about it when she said that the whole Hunter Biden thing is a uh, is a is a pick and a poke, so to speak. Um, now she says that um, the Democratic Party needs to expand its uh, um, base, and she has uh, said that Meghan Markle, uh, the great former Canadian, um, uh, I believe born in Canada, Canada, um, should join the Democratic Party because she would have quote of course make a great president. Um, and, uh, you know, she also said that President Biden will be running again in 2024. But the, the lovely Valerie Biden Owens, I believe, Brad, she's married to the great sprinter Jesse Owens, um, has once again made her mark in uh, Democratic political circles. Well, good for her, buddy. I mean, is, it, is this just sort of apropos of nothing? You know, she was just walking down the street whistling to herself 
and her head snapped up and she said, you know who would make a great president? Meghan Markle. Or was there some, you know, context for this? Someone asked her her opinion. The discussion was about Meghan Markle because of all the people that you could just name on the planet, right? Let's just, let's just assume for the moment or create a hypothetical where everyone on the planet was eligible for the presidency of the United States. Of all of those people, to come up with Meghan Markle seems a bit of a stretch, given what we know about Miss Markle and her ability to deal with you know, complex political issues, stress of any type, anyone who disagrees with her, anyone who isn't going to give her what she wants. I mean, seems like she might not be your best option, uh, but I'm sort of hopeful that a question was asked to which Meghan Markle would have perhaps been a more appropriate answer and not that this, uh, you know, Miss Owens just came up with that off the cuff, as it were. Yeah, I, I am not 100% sure. Uh, I believe it was a sit-down interview, not to be confused with a like a sit-down, like a formal sit-down where someone's about to get shot. Um, but I listen, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. But Brad, I do know this. I know we talked earlier about the great state of Oregon, of course, the home to the um, How to Murder Your Husband author. Um, well, listen, uh, when we look at the federal government, when we look at things that are important to us and how to come up with good law, typically we look to the states. You know, we look at the states and uh, they come up with the best laws. They're sort of uh, little incubators that they percolate up. This week, Brad, the, the Oregon uh, School Department, which governs all the schools in the state of uh, Oregon, um, have followed through um, after the state passed the menstrual Dignity Act in 2021. Mm -hmm. um, and all the schools in Oregon now, starting in middle schools on up, are installing menstrual product dispensing machines, Brad. Menstrual product dispensing machines, of course, you have frequented those in the past in, boy, in the boys' rooms in all of those schools. So every school, Brad, in the state of Oregon, of course, um, founded originally by Lewis and Clark um, with Sacagawea, um, have uh, now installed menstrual product dispensing machines in boys' restrooms. So any boy that needs, um, you know, a, a menstrual product um, will be able to get one. They choose their menstrual product of choice and then use that. And this, of course, comes from the Menstrual Dignity Act, Brad, of 2021, which said that any boy... Um, should have access to tampon machines um, at the taxpayer's expense. Yeah, I don't get any of that. I'm just going to come right out and say I don't understand any of that. I think that what will resolve this issue will be the fact that nothing, and I do mean nothing, is going to be more entertaining for the boys in the middle schools and perhaps the high schools of Oregon than to find tampon dispensers in their restrooms. And I look forward to seeing all of the creative ways in which those boys will express their excitement in taking those menstrual products and doing all sorts of junior highest things with them. And I hope that all of the principals and staffs of those schools who then have to deal with that very predictable issue, go back to the school department of Oregon and say, hey, Maybe we should have given this just a little more thought. Yeah, and listen, Brad, they did. So I think one of the things you're not recognizing here is that the Portland Public Schools, and in particular, the Oregon Department of Education, 
have um, uh, thought about this. They've issued a very uh, thoughtful release um, where they said, and I quote here, we encourage parents uh, to have conversations with their students at home about menstruation, uh, menstrual products, sexuality, and health. This program will be implemented best if we work in partnership to reduce shame and stigma, Brad, around menstruation and help all students, boys and girls, address basic physical menstrual needs in order to move, remove barriers to their overall education. So there it is, Brad, uh, black and white. This is in the press release from the Oregon Department of uh, Education. And perhaps the uh, Biden uh, Bureau of Disinformation should start here. You look all across this country again, and you see some some very strange things happening. You know, Florida just passed that "Don't Say Gay" law, where you're not allowed to teach middle schoolers about uh, kindergartners. Kindergartners to third graders, you can't yeah. teach them sexuality. Because, I mean, Lord knows, I don't know how they're going to survive. I mean, the average kindergartner not being taught sexuality by some left leaning lunatic. I don't know how they're going to make it there in Florida, but I guess we'll see. Yeah, well, listen, listen. Uh, unfortunately, Brad, these these bills have real victims. Uh, for example, in Florida, the first uh, casualty of that bill has uh, been identified as Cape Coral Middle School art instructor Casey Scott. Um, Casey Scott was teaching a group of first graders uh, art, and uh, she said that uh, a lot of people were curious in the class about her sexual orientation. Um, and she explained, Brad, that she was pansexual. During a lesson in March, a pansexual, of course, refers to someone who is attracted to all categories uh, of people, regardless of their sex, gender, identity, political affiliation, or sexual orientation. Uh, she then had a discussion in class and invited everyone to make flags, all these first graders, representing their own sexuality. And she put up this uh, uh, wall together where she had all these flags um, from first graders identifying um, their sexuality, all the way from transgender to non-binary to gay. Uh, and then the principal, of course, came up to her and said, it would probably be a good idea to take those, uh, take those down. Um, and within a matter of uh, days, she was terminated because she was teaching uh, first graders about her pansexual proclivities. Um, so it seems, Brad, that uh, perhaps where Oregon gets it wrong, maybe Florida got it right. But I, there's so much there to just shake your head at. Again, I don't, I don't care what side of this issue you're on. If you want to be pansexual, go for it. Right? I mean, again, freedom is to be used as one sees fit in using it so long as one's freedom does not abuse someone else's. Right? I mean, that's sort of the basic premise on which this country is founded. So if you want to declare yourself to be pansexual, go for it. But when you have lost your grip on reality to the point that you think it is at all appropriate to be indoctrinating first graders as to your view of sexuality, whatever it may be, right? Whatever it may be, right? I, I don't recall back, you know, in the dark ages when you and I were in first grade and, and the country was, you know, arguably much more conservative in its approach to sexuality, any of my first grade teachers saying, hey, I'm a straight, you know, male or female, and I'm now going to indoctrinate you into my straight. It just wasn't discussed. You know why? Because you were in the first grade. It wasn't a meaningful aspect of your education. And to the extent that the concept of sexuality, which you probably wouldn't frame that way if you were a first grader, arose in your mind, you approached your parents and your parents dealt with that issue because it's not 
part of your education as a first grader. And, and what is most troubling to me is not that this art teacher is pansexual. That's fine. It's the fact that she thought it was appropriate. I mean, it is just wrong-headed thinking. And folks like that should not be terminated because they are pansexual. Who cares? They should be terminated because they think it's appropriate to try and indoctrinate first graders with any form of sexuality. That is sick. Well, listen, just when you think you've lost all hope in humanity, I give you Marcus Renard Hubbard. Marcus Renard Hubbard, Brad, from Port Arthur, Texas, we believe, um, has been accused of burglarizing a home in the middle of the night in Port Arthur and uh, is, is currently on the lam. They don't know where he, uh, where he is. Uh, Marcus Renard Hubbard broke into this house, uh, stole, uh, removed a, um, a, a gas-powered lawnmower from the home, took a uh, gas uh, tank, a, a big, uh, a big uh, um, container filled with gasoline out of his car, filled the lawnmower with gasoline, proceeded to mow the victim's lawn, and this is all on ring video, and then proceeded to leave with the lawnmower in his truck. Um, this... Brad, I think is what we're looking for. This is America. Of course, it wasn't his lawnmower to begin with, but he gave that house, uh, his victim's home, one last good mow, and it looked like it needed it uh, before he took their lawnmower, which they weren't using anyway. Buddy, that's how you do it. That's how you do it, right? I mean, you, you say to yourself, I need a mower, okay, which is reasonable, right? I mean, if you're going to be living in any kind of decent neighborhood, you should keep your lawn kept. Right. I mean, it should be presentable. So you say, so I don't have a mower. Right. So now I'm not I'm not going to be able to keep my lawn presentable. So you drive down the street and find someone who is not keeping their lawn presentable. So you say to yourself, OK, well, they probably have a mower, but they're not using it mm -hmm. and, and they're not keeping their lawn presentable. I am going to kill two birds here. I am going to make their lawnmower usable. I'm going to fill it with gas. Uh, if it is a two-stroke, I'm going to make sure it's a gas-oil combination. I have no intention of blowing up the mower. And then I'm going to cut their grass with it. And I'm going to make their grass presentable, but then I'm going to remove from them the burden of ownership of the mower and the guilt that comes along with knowing that you own a mower but are not using it, and therefore your lawn is unpresentable. I'm going to fix both of those problems. Then I'm going to take that mower that you are not using after I've made your lawn presentable and removed the burden of ownership and guilt, and I'm going to take that mower myself, and I'm going to go make my lawn presentable, thereby making the whole neighborhood much, much better. He might be mowing other lawns. I, mean, I say Godspeed, Marcus Renard Hubbard, and uh, I hope they never catch you. Finally, Brad, barter band, Bronze Stevie award-winning uh, segment. This week, Brad, I give you Helen Hirsch. Bard. I'm going to say you need to hear a little more about this before oh, you right. uh, okay. decide oh, whether fair. or not Helen should be barred. She's, of course, an 83-year-old resident of the Rio condo building in New York. Of course, Brad, you and I know that's at 304 East 65th Street, I believe, on the Upper East or West Side. Um, units here sell for millions. Of course, the Rio is a luxury building. I believe you and I have um, been there before, swam in their pool. Apparently, the uh, management at the Rio, the uh, timeshare or whatever condo board is trying to um, ban and bar Ms. Hirsch from accessing certain facilities at the uh, 
at the Rio, for example, the pool and fitness center. Uh, this comes after the 83 year old defecated in the uh, fitness center swimming pool on a number of occasions, um, which of course forced them to shut down the pool, drain it, and then fill it back up again. Um, so it could be properly sanitized. Uh, she is also um, uh, being accused of uh, trying to be barred from, they're trying to bar her from using the fitness facility in total, including not only the pool where she's defecated, Brad, but the uh, gym where she, quote, screams and makes loud noises while uh, using the gym and pool and failed on numerous occasions to wear proper attire in the workout room. For example, wearing a wet bathing suit into the gym or not wearing anything at all. Um, and uh, Ms. Hirsch, of course, is fighting for her right to work out um, and uh, to swim. Uh, she obviously has bowel issues. And the pool at the Rio, of course, is a lovely indoor facility. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think they should be allowed to bar her, Brad. I wouldn't necessarily want to swim with her or work out with her or live anywhere near the Rio uh, in the Upper West or East Side of New York. Um, but I'm going to say that they're off base here, and I'm going to say they should neither bar or ban her, but let her let her swim and let her work out like any 83-year-old should be able to do. Well, but I, I think you solved this problem by simply transporting her to Oregon, where in addition to the Menstrual Dignity Act, I believe they have a Defecation Dignity Act, where they not only allow you to poop in the pool, but they celebrate it. And they encourage open discussion of the fact that some people just like to poop in the pool, just is what it is. And we should be, you know, dutifully nodding our heads and talking at home over the dinner table about why people poop in the pool, why it's okay for them to do it, because some people are just pool poopers. And, you know, that sometimes when you get to be 83, uh, if you're not the president of the United States, there's, uh, you know, no one willing to, you know, kind of just use you for their purposes and therefore might try to ban your pool pooping and that just shouldn't be allowed, right? And so I think while unfortunately uh, the Rio may not be the place um, for this delightful young at heart 83-year-old, Oregon probably is. Yeah, she would. She would. I, th I think she would thrive in Oregon. Of course, when confronted um, with these accusations, she said, "Quote: No, never." Um, then she proceeded to say, "Well, wait a minute. Do they have any evidence? This is ridiculous. I was a doctor before." Um, and then she said, "Quote unquote: Maybe I'm just getting old." So, uh, Brad, I believe we should ship her off to Oregon. I believe she is not a medical doctor, but every bit the doctor that Jill Biden is. And uh, there you have it, Brad. Another episode in the books. Another fine episode of the books. We appreciate everyone's time and attention, certainly to include our studio audience. And we will see you right back here next week on IP Frequently. This has been IP Frequently. Once again, clearing a forest of lies with the machete of truth. You're welcome.